time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is another episode of 5th Avenue Faceoff on your Odyssey app. A-U-D-A-C-Y. All you got to do is go there, follow the podcast, and then start getting the new episodes whenever they are ready. Like, as soon as this one was ready, you got it in your Odyssey app if you went ahead and followed the podcast. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iTunes. Go in there. Follow the podcast. Favorite it. Like it. Subscribe. Whatever you got to do. Then uh, feel free to leave some, some ratings and reviews. Give us some five stars. Let us know what a great job we're doing. We'll talk to Dave Damashik, noted Pittsburgher and huge Penguins fan from L.A. later about what exactly went on this weekend. Sheng Peng, who covers the Sharks for San Jose Hockey Now, SJ Hockey Now, about a couple of things that are kind of intertwined. A, what should we expect from the Sharks when the Pens get out there uh, Tuesday night? And B, uh, are there some San Jose Sharks who could be Pittsburgh Penguins by the end of the month? I don't know, but we'll definitely dig into it with him. Uh, but we start with our good friend, Eric Tangrady. Tango, how was the weekend? Are you uh, recovering from what I know was a difficult loss for your Eagles? Yeah, no, um, still, we're, we're still a little bit bitter, but you know what? It was a great football game. I think everybody can agree with that. Um, it was an unbelievable football game. Stars, you know, the stars shined. That's what you want to see in the biggest games and the biggest moments. Um, even shout out to Rihanna. I think she shined too. So yeah. uh, all the stars, start to finish. Um, but no, it was a good football game. I just would have loved just one opportunity to go down the field and, and see if they could have you know made a comeback or not. But that, that's football. Yeah, Jalen Hurts was uh, was an, other than the fumble, he was an absolute stud. Uh, so I mean, anybody else in the world, he probably beats that team, and probably other than Patrick Mahomes on the other side, he probably beats them and and has himself a Super Bowl MVP uh, come Monday morning. But you're right, here nor there, it was a great game. Let's start with what happened Saturday night. Uh, forget Sunday night. Saturday night out in LA after a great game Friday in Anaheim. The Pens go up the road about an hour to Crypto.com Arena, what is Staples, whatever you want to call it. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I've seen them have uh, dull spots this year. I don't know what it was. It, 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 were you able to put a finger on what exactly happened to them Saturday night? You know what? I, I can sympathize with what happened with them. I will go back, and um, I know people are trying to probably tired of my own stories, but my worst NHL game to date. And someone will probably be like, oh, I've seen you play a lot of bad NHL games. But anyways, <laughs> um, my worst NHL game to date, Saku Koivu night in Montreal against the Anaheim Ducks. We were scheduled to play an 8 o'clock game. We went out for warm-ups at 7.15. We sat on the bench for 63 minutes before we were then given 30 seconds to do three hot laps and play a hockey game. Um, that being said, like, sure, both teams went through that experience. Maybe that should have been for, for both, but you, they just looked like a team that had, like, literally just been sitting for an hour and then had to go play a hockey game. Um, so I think they got kind of caught with caught up in the emotions of Dustin Brown night. Right. Um, maybe the emotions created some momentum for LA before the puck even dropped. And um, 
that's where I'm going to try to give them a little bit of uh, a benefit for that effort. But yeah, I mean, it, the game was over after it seemed like 10 minutes of watching. Just the, the ice was tilted in one direction for 60 straight minutes, and you rarely see that in a National Hockey League game. Yeah, and then you've got Kemp, Adrian Kempe just lining up uh, one-timers on a five-on-three after he's got a natural hat trick in the second period. I could understand why Sid was a bit frazzled towards the end. He takes a cross-check. It's rare you see him... Uh, I don't know if that may be his first ejection of his career definitely was uh, it, it's rare to see him that perturbed uh, by a call, but he definitely was. And and the thing that I went back to, and, and I looked this up actually, Eric is they now are one, six and two in the second half of back to backs um, for the oldest team in the league who has, I think five more back to back situations Uh, before the end of the season including two in the next 10 days I think it is they've got to find a way and I hate to just blame it on age because it's not like they're it's not like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang are 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 getting worse as they get older they're still world-class players but as the oldest team in the league I think you got to look at the back-to-back situations and wonder how that's affecting them yeah absolutely and I think it, it all kind of stems back to what we were talking about about like the depth, right? Like having an, an infusion of young, hungry energy, like Friday night, like the bottom six looked incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they were in hunting on the four check. Like um, you get some secondary scoring, like PO kicks in and, and provides a spark. Like to me, like that's the type of road period you wanted to see on Saturday on the, the second half of a back-to-back, like go out there. You're supposed to win. You got a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence. Well, good teams when they go into the back to back, like don't have any excuses. And then that's where you get those young energy guys. Someone's got to chip in and give you like that, that greasy playoff shift in the first. And that's just the piece. I think we everybody keeps talking about like what's missing of like that young, like hungry. Can they go out and give us a spark in a back to back? Because yeah, I mean, you can't take back age, you know, you can't take back, right. you know, guys playing 20 minutes in less than 24 hours, do it again. Like that is tough every single year you, you go on with your career. So they just need to find that spark and get that, that just that one line that can go out and provide it for them. What is there a trick to getting back up for a, a, a game on a back to back like that, regardless of your age, regardless of your experience level, you know, we, we're all familiar, I think, as hockey fans with the old tried and true routine of, oh, you've got a morning skate, you go back to the hotel room or your house, depending on whether you're away or at home, you get a little nap in, you wake up, grab coffee, head to the rink. But when you're on the second half of a back-to-back, especially on the road, it's got to throw the routine out of whack a little bit. How do you handle that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it really is tough. The, the difference is you're, you're generally not pregame skating. Um, you know, you kind of have to fight, figure out a new routine because, um, you know, usually you're up, you get your cup of coffee, you go to skate, you got your video. You, like, there's a lot more time in the day when you're not in a back-to-back. Like, I'm sure, you know, some of those guys are getting to bed after coming down off of a, a spirited game on Friday. They're probably getting to sleep two, two in the morning and meetings at 11 30 12 and it's just like boom 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 we're back at the rink it's it's more of mental warfare than it is physical like everybody's not supposed to feel great in that situation but it's the the the, the men who can change their their psychology of like 
I'm fine. Like I'm just going to go play a simple game. And some teams actually thrive in back-to-backs because they play a more simplified, unified game. Um, in this situation, it was a little different. And again, not to have excuses, but that game, I think, what did it start? Like almost 11, 11 o'clock at yeah. night out here. Like you get an East Coast team going out, that doesn't justify the rest of the stats on the back-to-back. But when you get them going out, going out West, like some of those guys with kids are probably in bed at 9, 30, 10 o'clock. They're, they're starting a game at, at 11, finishing at 1, 32 in the morning East Coast time. So that game was kind of a, a, a recipe for disaster, one that you and I looked at. Like, we, we would be stealing points if they actually went in there and won that hockey game anyway. That's a good call. You know, at, by virtue of the win against Colorado coming out of the break, it felt like they had a little wiggle room going out West. And, okay, they've used that up now, and – but they've still got, and, and I guess this is the double-edged sword, right? They've got games in hand on just about everybody else in the playoff race. But part of the problem with that is, like I said, they've got a lot of game, hockey games coming up. they got six games in 10 days, uh, starting with Tuesday against San Jose. Uh, as I mentioned, two of those are back-to-backs. Uh, one of them against Tampa. One of them against the Islanders. So huge games, especially when it comes to the Islanders uh, and the Devils, those are four-point games, really, uh, especially with the Islanders trying to chase them down. So they've got to figure out a way to be better than the 1-6-2 and two they've been in the second half of those back-to-backs to this point. Uh, the other thing about the, the, the second half of the season so far, the stretch run, is we, we're back to inconsistent goaltending. Um, we got a great game from Casey DeSmith against the avalanche coming out of the break, right? I mean, he was the reason they were still in that thing and able to come back and win unreal overtime from him, especially in the Colorado game played solid enough against Anaheim. That was more about a total team effort. You talked about the bottom two forward lines being particularly grimy and doing what they had to do, but then you go to LA and he doesn't get out of the second period. Uh, And it's, you know, when it's one thing when you've got Jari and DeSmith and you feel like maybe you can lean on one guy if the other one's struggling, when it's just Casey DeSmith and Dustin Tokarski, God love him, is, is an AHL call-up at this point in his career, it, it feels like they're really hamstrung when they don't get the best of the best performance from Casey DeSmith. And I just, I, I'm caught wondering now, even if they get Jari back for Tuesday night's game against the Sharks, down the stretch and into the playoffs, do they feel totally comfortable with what they have in net? Yeah, and I think that's where, the, in my opinion, the biggest error was. Regardless of the Smith leaving the rink on Friday against Anaheim and saying, you know, I wasn't overly taxed, I'm feeling good, I'm ready to go back-to-back. Like, 2023, the NHL, not many goaltenders are playing back-to-backs, right? right? Like, even in that situation, you do have a, a call-up in Tukarski, who does have plenty of NHL experience. I mean, I think he started almost half a year for Buffalo uh recently so i would allow for them to start him and just let the smith keep riding that confidence because again we talk you never go into a game thinking you're gonna lose but you had to just think that you were gonna get like you were gonna get stymied a little bit by out going into la waiting dustin brown night like i would have let the smith ride that high of his confidence give him the back-to-back off regardless of what he said because now we're back in this situation and, and what we're, we're we talked about is like this is a huge game against san jose like this is a take care of business national hockey league game and yeah. how's the confidence and we're back to kind of where we started where it would have been let's let the start maybe that sparks a little fire in the team that we got to play a solid defensive effort um 
And I think that's where maybe a little bit of a judgment call was a mistake in going into that game Saturday. That's a good call. I think we were all surprised when we saw that the Smith definitely was going to be back in there Saturday night in L.A. Let's let's fast forward just a little bit to the playoffs. Let's assume they're they're in there and a wild card because that looks like where they're going to slot in eventually. Let's assume Jari and the Smith are healthy. Your opinion. Is that good enough to get through a round of the playoffs against either, say, Boston or Carolina, a healthy Jari and DeSmith? Today, no. Today, yeah. I mean, we talk about needing to steal a game, and a game was stolen against Colorado. So that gives me hope, gives us hope, peace of mind, like maybe he can. But, like, to consistently do it in, we'll say, to beat that team, you're going to need to probably go six or seven games. Like, right. we're going to need two of those games stolen um seven games in 14 days like there's no time for for mistakes you got to be ready to rock yeah i i just i as we approach the trade deadline and we're what like two and a half weeks away from it now i keep finding myself wondering how important is the possible addition of a different backup maybe swapping out the smith for somebody else on the trade market but knowing everything else that they've got to try and dig up a deal for at the deadline I just don't know how realistic it is knowing the the lack of resources that Ron Hextall has at, at his disposal at this point, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at probably trading second through fifth round is basically like the assets that they're willing to part with right now. Like, what does that really get you? I think even more so than a backup goaltender, like they need a depth forward in some yeah. capacity. Um and it's wishful thinking to kind of play, you know, uh, couch uh, GM. Um, but like, what does truly a second round pick get you in this market after you just watch Bo Horvat go for what he went for? Like Timo Meyer is the next piece. Like you're going to have, you're looking at young prospect first and something else for like a Timo Meyer. Um, so the market, it, it changes every year. Like last year, I don't know if the market was as strong, but like this year, the market is, there's a lot of teams who just feel like they're missing one piece, have some cap space that can really go after somebody. Um, so I don't know where that puts the Penguins. Like they, they to me, it seems like they're like a, um, you know, right on the dot trade deadline minute, try to sneak a deal in for a pick and just see what the market tells them before they can be aggressive. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of people that are starting to hope that maybe because of the way there was salary retained by St. Louis and the Tarasenko deal, that maybe the Penguins could try and swing something similar. I just wonder if, like you said, if Ron Hextall isn't willing to deal that first-round pick, then it's kind of a non-starter on any big names, and you kind of relegate yourself to that second tier, which, understanding, they need a depth forward, but you do. You relegate yourself to that second tier of guys that may be available come deadline day, and you're not talking about Timo Meyer or even a, a Ryan O'Reilly or, a, you know, Jonathan Taves might be out there and available. You're not anywhere near that market. You are more down in the – and it's not a knock against him, but – uh, a depth guy like a Max Domi, right? That's that's where you end up looking is because if you're not going to touch your first round pick, then you are. You're, you're really limiting yourself. And again, that's not even accounting for the salary cap gymnastics that have to, have to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the salary cap stuff, again, like the Phoenix or Phoenix, Arizona has like really made kind of a, a draft capital off of just retaining salary. And um, I forget what the stats were, but they, I mean, like for even holding $2 million, it's like a third or a fourth round pick just to hold that cap space. Like yeah. that's the equity and just trying to bring the right person over to do that. Um, you'd have to move a, a significant piece 
uh, and get some help. But yeah, no, I totally agree. It'll be interesting to see what they um, they have up their sleeve as we get closer to, to trade deadline day. Well, Tango, I'll let you run. I know you got a practice uh, to run over at Shady Side, and uh, we'll get together if it's all right with you Wednesday. We'll uh, see how things go Tuesday night in San Jose, and we'll be a couple days closer to the deadline, and hope hopefully a couple more points in the bank for the Pens. Sounds good. I'm going to put together a little uh, wish list uh, of oh, a couple players. I that, like that. Uh, I like for maybe some of our listeners to just kind of watch. It'll be some players they're probably not used to uh, checking in on, but I'll, I'll try to come up with three to five players that I think can make a, a difference in, and realistically someone they can go after. So that'll be something exciting to talk about Wednesday. I love it. We'll do it on Wednesday. Thanks again for the time, man. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. So there you have it. A little uh, armchair GM work from Eric Tangrady, former Penguin who joins us a couple times a week here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. He'll have a wish list, a little list punched up for Ron Hextall to maybe pay attention to because we all know he's listening to and downloading Fifth Avenue Faceoff just as you should be on your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. When we come back uh, from SJ Hockey Now, uh, also Locked on Sharks, catch up with Sharks insider Sheng Peng next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back to 5th Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack at 93.7 The Fan and The Fan Morning Show. Thanks again to Eric Tangrady for joining as he does a couple times a week. We'll talk to him again on Wednesday when he'll have that wish list punched up for the Penguins at the trade deadline. Speaking of trade deadline, one team that's going to be very busy between now and March 3rd, including Tuesday night when they host the Pens for the final game of the uh, Penguins road trip is the San Jose Sharks. And joining us from SJ Hockey now, Sheng Peng, Sharks insider. Sheng, thanks for taking a couple minutes. How are you? Oh, very good. How about yourself? Great, great. I saw you did... Uh, uh, on YouTube, I believe it was a couple days ago. Great little breakdown of where the Sharks sit uh, as the deadline approaches. We're less than three weeks away now. Uh, they've got some, they've got some big name assets. They've got the guy that is commonly ranked by many league-wide insiders as the number one target uh, on uh, as trade deadline day approaches on the wish list of teams around the league. They've also got a couple of other pieces that may be available. So let me start with the big name and let's start with. Timo Meyer, is there any chance at all that comes Saturday, March 4th, he wakes up and he's still a San Jose Shark? <laughs> um, I, I, feel, I find him highly unlikely. I mean, as of a couple weeks ago, his agent, Quattro Mew, was still saying that, yes, it was still possible. But as time goes on and there's no real, you know, all the discussion is about where Timo is going, uh, how much Timo wants uh, per year, he's a pending RFA. Uh, no talk about the Sharks and Timo talking about an extension. And I think we could see this at the beginning of the season because at the beginning of the season, uh, Lemieux said the same thing that, you know, they weren't even expecting a contract offer from the Sharks until the end of the season. And not that that is, you know, Timo's an RFA, so that's, you know, maybe that's normal in some ways. But if you look at compare it to last year when Thomas Hurdle was a UFA, different situation, but from the, you know, a year out from, from Hurdle's free agency, all the talk was, we want to sign this guy. We want to, you know, we want to keep this guy in the fold. Whereas the Sharks weren't communicating that from, uh, you know, during the summer. And so, yeah, so it, it seems like even though it's still possible, it's really not likely. 
How much of his $6 million cap hit do you think Mike Greer is willing to retain? Because that's become a huge part of the equation mm-hmm. now that the Blues were willing to retain about half of Vladimir Tarasenko's cap hit and money in their deal with the Rangers. I think for it's, it's just one year, so I don't there I don't think there's any barrier for him to uh, to retain on all of it. You know, I know we're going to talk about Eric Carlson in a little bit, and Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. The problem with Carlson is obviously is that uh, for the Sharks to retain, that's the next four years, and teams very rarely you know are going to retain that many years. Um, but uh, for Timo, just this year, um, they have uh, the Sharks have uh, they're already retaining on Brent Burns. And so they just have two more. Uh, they have two more slots that they can use. So there's no reason why that couldn't be uh, Timo this year. So how important is it to Meyer, you think, to go somewhere where he knows he can get an extension, especially with that ten million dollar tender sitting out there in the off season? Um, you know, I don't think it's that important because, in in some ways, um, you know, if, if if he's not happy where where he's traded, then well, he's just there for another year, right? I mean. That team, mm-hmm. even though that 10 million qualifying offer is a little bit high, I mean, when you say Timo Meyer, I think that he's a player that at this point has established himself as pretty clearly, no one would argue, like an 8.5, $9 million player. So, it's a, you know, it's a, a bit of a difference, uh, 10 million, but it's not, it's not like uh, he's a $3 million player with a $10 million qualifying offer. So you mentioned Eric Carlson. I'll pivot to him next mm-hmm. because there are a glut of high-end defensemen that you would think are available on this market. He's at the top of the list, though. And for a franchise like San Jose that seems like they're in full-on rebuilding mode, it makes sense to move on from an aging defenseman with a lot of contract uh, left, a lot of term left on his deal. But you point out it's not like there's going to be salary retention in that deal. There's multiple years left on it. So... Um, what do the Sharks reasonably expect from uh, an Eric Carlson deal? And where, where do you get a sense? Uh, what, what do you get a sense as far as what teams are poking around? Well, there will be salary tension. There has to be because a team, even with as good as Eric has been, um, you know, this has been the one year that he's done that in this contract so far. The previous three seasons of his contract, it's, you know, been injury riddled or just hasn't performed as highly the question really is how much the sharks will retain um you know the rumors are that uh sharks are willing to retain about 20 percent or 18 percent uh and then the story came out um elliot freeman reported that the edmonton oilers uh, that's one team that's definitely poking around wants uh the sharks to retain about 40 (laughs) percent and 40 percent on 11.5 million for the next four years after this season is quite a lot but yeah. I think the two teams that we keep hearing most prominently are Edmonton and Ottawa uh, this year. And there's also a thought that during the summer, it might make more sense to, to trade Carlson and for teams to try to take that money on. Because at that point during the summer, teams will have kind of a uh, renewed idea of what they're doing with their money, how they're distributing their money. And so we might not see a deal this trade down just because it's so many sort of gymnastics to get a deal uh, with this kind of money uh, you know, figured out. So I have to ask who else is out there because when it comes to the Penguins, I think a lot of Pens fans understand the constraints Ron Hextall is working under. Um, They look at a guy who at least publicly has stated he doesn't want to deal his first round pick, Mm -hmm. doesn't have much, if any, cap space to work with. It would have to be salary out, salary in kind of deal. And also is probably more in need of a depth forward, especially a third line center than anything else. And immediately every Penguins fan's name goes to the Sharks roster and goes, Benino, 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 Benino. And (laughs) look, a a 34-year-old guy on an expiring deal, 
Um, he's certainly not what he was five, six years ago when he helped this team win a Stanley Cup. But I do think, it, how has he played this year, Nick Bonino? And is that a guy that the Sharks would be willing to move for a relative, uh, I don't know, dearth of resources as compared to a Timo Meyer or Eric Carlson deal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Bonino, um, Bonino uh, still offers, you know, he still leads the league in shot blocks, I think, for forwards. Um, he can still, you know, his, his, his goal scoring is a little bit uh, inc- uh, inconsistent. So, again, if you, if, you, if you trade for him and you expect that he's going to give you third, second line consistent production, which he used to do somewhere and thereabouts, right? He's not doing that anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. He's had, uh, you know, last year, the first 18 games of the season, he didn't score a point, I think. Uh, this year, you know, I think the first 24 games of the season, he didn't score a goal, I think it was. And then, you know, he's gone on a little bit of a couple of hot streaks, you know. But so if, if that's a guy that uh, you, you're not counting on for too much scoring, you can slot him on your fourth line or he can play up occasionally when, you know, he's, he's kind of filling it, right? Um, but yeah, he still, he still can contribute. You know, he has slowed down a bit, I think, with the skating. That's from what I understand talking to people and just my own observation. But uh, he still is a, you know, a great leader, very well-respected in the Sharks locker room. Um, he's a guy that would not think twice about uh, playing, you know, 10 minutes a night on a playoff team, you know, on your fourth line. And like I said, yeah, once while you can move him up and he's going to give you, you know, that kind of uh, a clutch performance. And in terms of just the return, um, yeah, I, I think because he's expiring, I, I don't think the Sharks would be asking for, uh, uh, you know, too much, you know. Uh, you know, you just probably want to, you know, outbid. There's going to be a couple other teams probably looking at a guy like that to help their fourth line out. And, or their bottom six out in general. And so you know, are you willing to give uh, maybe a fourth round pick when the other teams are saying are set at fifth or if, if other teams go up to a fourth, you know, are you, you know, will they go, you know, pay up a little more? Uh, you know, I think that's kind of a price range we're talking about for Nick Benino. Shang Peng of SJ Hockey now with us here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Before I let you run, Shang, I got to ask, what's up with Kapo Kakinen? Um, Saw he did not finish the game in Washington the other day despite the Sharks upsetting the Caps uh, in D.C., uh, should we expect him in net Tuesday night? I know full disclosure for those listening to the podcast, it's Monday morning Pacific time right now as we speak. So um, you haven't been to skate yet. You haven't been to practice yet uh, on Monday. So who knows what you'll find out when you get there. But uh, if it's not Kockenden, I imagine we're talking about Aaron Dell getting the start, who you know played pretty well in relief of Kockenden the other night. Um, what should we expect Tuesday night? Well, we don't know actually because actually they just canceled our practice last minute too. Oh. So, so we don't we don't know uh, what's gonna what's gonna happen uh, uh, today in terms of a uh, 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 couple. Uh, uh, they did say uh, David Quinn uh, said that uh, you know couple seemed fine, but that kind of injury you know likely concussion spotter took him out. You know you never know, right? You, you can be right. fine the first day, or, but then you know kind of uh, uh, the next day or whatever you, you don't feel so good. And yeah, uh, so it'll be interesting uh, who will start for the Sharks tomorrow because it should be actually James Reimer, of course, but James Reimer uh, took ill uh, over the weekend and that's why they had to call up uh, Aaron Dell and you know, get him to fly over right the, the day before a, a morning afternoon game in Washington. And so, uh, so it could be, it could be Aaron Dell. It could be their four string goalie backing up uh, Aaron Dell for all, for all we know, or it could be, because uh, Reimer's, you know, uh, illness is not said to be a serious one. So it could be Kakin and, and, and Reimer tomorrow. So <laughs> so it's it's basically close your eyes, throw a dart at the board, and exactly. see which goalie you land on. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Well, Shank, thanks so much for the time. Hey, before I let you run, yeah. I've, I've tried to I've tried to dip into this with some of the especially insiders from other teams that we've mm-hmm. talked to. Um, what is it that that I don't know? What is it that made you a hockey fan? What got you involved with the with covering the Sharks and what has you chasing chasing down this beat uh, on an everyday basis now? Well, the uh, the dark, dark secret that I hold is that I actually grew up a Kings fan, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> only thing worse I could say to Sharks fan is that uh, I, I'm a Vegas fan or something like that. But anyway, uh, when I was a kid, uh, the, um, I heard that the, the Kings had traded for the greatest hockey player ever. And when I was a kid, I didn't know what hockey was because, you know, I grew up in L.A. <laughs> and so so who, who knew what hockey was? But right. I was a sports fan. You know, I grew up, uh, I remember Showtime, Magic Johnson. I have some memories of that, right? And so when you hear on a news broadcast where well, the Kings are traded for the greatest you know, player, then that kind of gets your attention. And so first time I see Wayne Gretzky, it's, you know, he's modeling those white, silver, and black uh, Kings right. jerseys for the, you know, for the first time. And that just was the coolest thing. And back then, of course, uh, I didn't have cable. So we only got the Kings like maybe five to ten times uh, a, a season on uh, – right. You know, on broadcast TV, and but th- those were always uh, appointment TV, uh, television appointments for me. And I listened on the radio the 92 93 uh, King Stanley Cup run against the, 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 the Canadians. I listened to all that on the radio. Um, is there's only like the weekly ABC, I think, uh, uh playoff games. So, anyway, right. so that, that's what kind of got, got me into it. And in terms of just the Sharks, um, that's another longer story, but uh, uh, <laughs> my my actually my first beat was actually uh, uh, NHL beat was covering the Vegas Golden Knights in their expansion year, which was pretty uh, pretty incredible. And yeah, Mark Andre Fleury, which I'm sure you guys know, is mm-hmm. as great to deal with. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah right. Uh, so he was incredible to deal with, just a, a Pittsburgh thing there. And uh, the next year, though, I ended up um, just kind of uh, personal things. Uh, my wife got a job in the Bay Area. And just ended up uh, covering the Sharks. So I've been here since uh, 2018, 19. And they were pretty good the first year I was here. And it's been all downhill since then. <laughs> well, if it goes downhill, it's got to come back up at some point. And, uh, <laughs> I hope so. I hope you, so. <laughs> you've made the Pacific Division rounds. I mean, you're ha- yep. almost halfway through the division. So keep up yep. the good work. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Appreciate the intel on Timo Meyer, Eric Carlson, and what we should expect from the Sharks against the Pens on Tuesday night. Sheng Peng of SJ Hockey Now. Thanks so much, Sheng. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. <clears throat> In three, two, and one. Great stuff from Sheng Peng, uh, getting us all the details, all the dirt on the Timo Meyer trade market, Eric Carlson trade market, and maybe, just maybe, maybe there's a reunion for the Pens with Benito, Benito, Benito. Maybe, maybe. We'll see uh, if they're left to digging out uh, the targets from below the top tier down on the second tier. Maybe that's where they end up. All right. World famous Pittsburgher and Penguin fan who's out on the West Coast in Southern California. Dave Damashek. He joins me next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in. It is 5th Avenue Faceoff on your Odyssey app. A-U-D-A-C-Y. That's where you go. That's where you subscribe. That's where you download. That's where you listen. 
That's where you enjoy all that we have here for you. Talking Pittsburgh hockey several times a week. Thanks to Eric Tangrady. Thanks to Sheng Peng, who covers the Sharks out in San Jose for SJ Hockey Now. Uh, and thanks to you for rating, reviewing, letting us know exactly what you think. Whether you get us in that Odyssey app or iTunes or Spotify, wherever it is, leave a five-star review. Leave a glowing uh, comment, and we will, by all means, thank you. Like this, just by saying thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, pleased to be joined. Are you but, done shilling yet? No. Are you well, done we quiet from the man? Quiet from you over there. It's it's too early where you are for you to be yelling and screaming like that, carrying on with all that nonsense. Dave Damashek, that's the voice you just heard. He joins me on Fifth Avenue Face Off now. Good morning, David. It's morning where you are, even if it's afternoon where I am. And y- you look lovely. How are you re- recovering from Super Bowl Sunday in a week in the desert? Well, listen, it was a great time as always over there, rubbing elbows with the fancy pantses. The mm-hmm. Super Bowl was grand. My reaction is exactly the same as anyone else who watched it. That thing was tracking to be one of the top three or four Super Bowls, perhaps even the greatest edition in the history, in the 57-year history of the game, all sullied appropriately, I suppose. <laughs> by the officials making a call that didn't have to be made. And you know what? I really do think my big takeaway is when people say, Hey, if it's a penalty in week seven, then it's gotta be a penalty with a minute to go in the Super Bowl." And my response to that is twofold. One, the subjective calls that NFL officials make may or may not have caught that in week seven. And they may or may not have caught that if it had happened 30 seconds earlier before the uh, James Bradbury defensive hold, one. And two, and more importantly, the idea that a penalty is a penalty, that ain't the case in the NHL, is it? You know, the refs will swallow the whistles in big spots late and in overtime. I don't know that that's the better way to go, but it sure feels like it now when we were deprived of what could have been a classic end to a classic Super Bowl. I don't appreciate your flexibility of these hardline rules, Mr. Damashek. The rules were written for a reason, my friend. Mm. And anybody is going astray from those rules shall be punished accordingly, including Mr. Bradbury, who admitted his mistake after the game. Rules yeah, he, is rules. Why did he have to open his yap? Now it <laughs> makes it okay. And, you know, I, I, I really do wonder, you know, the machine has to now genuflect to Patrick Mahomes, and he deserves right? it, but I do think it's... um. You know, I, I I do think that what wins over the course of this next week and over these next six months, what when we get back to football in August, will we, will the takeaway of the previous season been Patrick Mahomes? Inevitable. He's the best. And we must or will it be like, dang it, that season was spoiled by the referees once again in the big spot with uh, with under two minutes left. Well, we've certainly never thought that in regards to hockey before, as you mentioned. So. Lord knows officiating has never played an adverse role in an outcome in a Stanley Cup playoff game, or let alone in a regular season game when Sidney Crosby, for example, Saturday night in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, where you live now, was cross-checked summarily to the ice, argued over it with the gentleman who had cross-checked him, and then was assessed the game misconduct for doing the arguing both with the offender and with the official. So what the hell happened Saturday night out there in L.A.? 
that was a weird moment. We've not, you know, it's, it, it's not the first time we've seen 87 get a little chippy when things yeah. are going south. This is his way. Um, does it have some value going forward? I don't know. You know, you always, the, the broadcaster always feels obliged to announce that this, he's showing fire and he wears the C <laughs> and this is something that his teammates will see and, and, uh, and use going forward. Um, obviously the much more significant concern is getting housed on that level. Um, the, the fact that, you know, it's the second of uh, a back-to-back for them, we excuse that. Um, because of, well, our guys are a little bit older, but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, should the Pens survive this? I mean, and it is a all-time rugged, murderer's row of teams to get into the Wales Conference dance this year. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to call it the Eastern Conference. Thank you ever, for continuing that tradition. Ever, ever, ever. Shame the devil. And in fact, what we I, I, I have said this for 20 years since they made this change. Okay, you don't want to go Norris or Patrick Division anymore. So be it. Can we at least now update it? Can it be the Lemieux Division? Yeah. Can we have an Ovechkin Division? Who's like the best 99 of all time? Wilf Payment. Okay, Wilf Payment Division. Whatever you want to do. I'm. Mean, we 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 can debate who gets the honors. But anyway, Eastern Conference. That was what was one of the great things about the NHL versus all the other sports. Um, you're right. But, you know, should they get into the Stanley Cup playoffs? The point is, you know, every other night for however long they can survive. So having the legs to to um, shame the devil, have to put out big effort in consecutive nights can't be an excuse that you use as the pens are coming down to the to the wire here. And it's and it's really the bummer of it is that. You know, they survive. I thought it was a little bit fluky surviving the Avs game the way they did. But, okay, maybe it's a pivot point and an inflection point for an up-and-down season. Then they do what they did to the Ducks. You could really talk yourself into, like, feeling good, yeah. These are the pens that we're going to get the rest of the way. They know when they have to turn it on and off. We saw it a year ago, the last month of the regular season. They looked dead in the water. Then were it not for not one but two goaltending injuries – they would have certainly survived the rags and who knows after that. Um, so you figure like, okay, these are, these, these are professionals. These are vets. They know when they have to get it going. I thought that was the case. And then six, nothing happens. Yeah. And this is a, I, I threw this number out earlier when I had Eric Tangrady on one, six and two in the second half of back to back so far, Dave, that's, that's what being the oldest team in the league will get you one, six and two. And they've got five more of these things down the stretch, including two in the next 10 days. One of them against the Islanders, another one against Tampa. You know, they, they've got, I think, three games against the Rangers in a eight-day period uh, or seven-day period in the middle of March that'll basically decide their playoff positioning. They got to get it together. And, and I don't know, like... It, I don't know if Ron Hextall is just trying to bluff the hell out of all of us saying he doesn't want to deal a first round pick and uh, being unusually quiet. I hope that's what it is. Cause that's kind of what it was last year. And he went out and got, got Ricard Raquel. That's kind of what it was two years ago. And he got out, went out and got a productive Jeff Carter uh, this year. He's quiet again, says he doesn't want to deal a first round pick. I, I don't know what he can do with the limited cap space available to him, but you got teams willing to suck up cal- salary cap space and retain cap for guys like Tarasenko. You got to be able to do something, right? 
Well, once you see the rags DO4 Tarasenko, yeah, it does open up the possibility that you can get some some nice pieces there. It doesn't mean that Tarasenko wasn't the only desirable piece on the market there, but right. when you see the price tag for it, you hope it's not to get back to a football comparison. The Amari Cooper math going from Dallas to Cleveland in yeah. hindsight made no sense. Um, he was a giveaway. So was the Tarasenko deal anomalous or is that an indication? And, and, you know, the leverage, the, the, the asset that the Penguins have right now is that first round pick. And when you combine that, it, it indicates if it's a hard and fast thing and we'll see what Hextall actually does, not what he has said about that, not being on the table, the first overall pick, but it does indicate a fundamental lack of understanding about what these Pittsburgh Penguins are, what at least should be about the notion of what you're trying to do. Yes. we. I do think cap space continues to go up. The idea that the pens are doomed for the entirety of the 87, 71, 58 contracts, given the weight uh, of those deals, that they're never going to have any ability to, to move around and add pieces. Obviously the cap's going to go up this offseason and next season. So they'll be able to flesh things out. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as people would have you believe. That said, those guys are going to be diminished versions of themselves in two years. Point is, I thought the whole thing was, we're going for it right now. We are all in on the present. I'm all about that. Again, another football reference. Worked out for the Rams uh, a year ago. I don't think they would give it back, no matter how messed up things are now looking ahead. That's what these Pittsburgh Penguins have to be about. And so, of course, the number one should be on the table if that's what it requires. And I think the sad kind of irony, as as you look at it now, is that it's not, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, somebody who who could uh, punch it up a little bit and um, and and provide some offensive production on the third line would be great. But what they really, it feels to me, they need some sandpaper. They need some physical heft in the bottom third. Uh, in the uh, bottom six. And um, so, you know, you hear it's a name brand, but you hear a name like Ryan O'Reilly potentially mm-hmm. being out there. I don't think you have to get a guy like Tarasenko to keep pace. What you need, you, you, I mean, in that top six, you got what you need in terms of goal production in all likelihood. Um, so, yeah, I, that shouldn't require a first round pick from Hextall. And if he doesn't make a move at this point, if he can't understand what this situation is for the Penguins, which is go for it right now while you have 87 playing at this level and 71 at his level. And the way 58 has played um, for the most part since he's come back, this, you should be going for it. Um, and if not, then my longstanding theory that he might be a double agent for the <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers could in fact be true. Um, so yeah. I, it becomes hard to argue against if he doesn't get it together between now and March 3rd. The, my only my only thing is, like, if he's thinking about, I have a responsibility that you may not like, Penguins fans, but I have to keep the, the, the future bright. That's my job as general manager. I can't just go all in and give away the future. Yeah, you can because, yeah. you know, how selfless are you, man? You're not going to be here. If this team misses the playoffs with Sidney Crosby and Geno Malkin and Chris Letang and the other pieces uh. – that's going to be a pretty big indictment on you as the general manager. So the assumption I have to make, make sure I keep an eye five years down the line. Like 
I, I'd be more selfish than that if I were you, Ron Hextall. Because it's about practice if he doesn't right? go out and do every absolutely everything he can. So this is my question for you because I find myself wondering this, and I've kicked it around with people a couple times. Sidney Crosby's got three years left on his contract, but I find it hard to believe Sidney Crosby's going to be done playing hockey at 38. I think he'll be like Tom Brady. He'll play till he just simply can't do it at the same level, and he'll play till he's 45 if he can't. If Genny Malkin's around for another four years, three years after this year. Chris Letang's contract runs ad infinitum at this point. Uh, he's just a penguin for life after that extension last year. If they play together another five years, do you feel like they have to get you one more cup, one more parade down the boulevard of the Allies to feel like they really fulfilled absolutely all the promise of what we thought we might get 15 years ago when these three came together? I'm going to go... No, on this one. I think it's a okay. valid question. I feel satiated. I mean, just look back. It depends how, I guess some some of it is how long you've been a, a Penguins fan. If you were born in to the assumption that the Penguins are always good, I guess you could talk yourself into, boy, we left a little meat on the bone there. But, you know, take a look around. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks. Right. Um, what, what what became of them? You know, the this Penguins era has endured much longer and had much greater success over the long term versus the other contenders for team of the millennium. I know what Tampa Bay is doing and what they have done. They would be the other team that you would elevate to the Penguins level in the 21st century. But man, as far as I'm concerned, I've become the older I get journey over destination guy. I think it means something that let's hope that it goes this way, but you, you, you know, people, I get the cynicism about you got to turn the page and it's about championships and nothing else. But to me, it it can't be zero sum like that. If every year is a disappointment because you don't win the championship in whatever sport it is, boy, you're really setting yourself up for some, some uh, sad uh, times, at, you know, going like you, you must be able to extract some satisfaction from, from moments in and of themselves rather than it feeding the ultimate goal. Obviously it would be great to see 87 and company hoist that, uh, that thing over their head one more time as a guy who remembers Mike Bullard and Michelle Dion and Mo mm. Mantha and Ron Stackhouse. And in 1984 in October gathering around the TV while my mother called my sister, Amy and I to dinner, come in here. The dinner's on the table. Get in here. We said, we got to, we got to see this 66 Lemieux's <laughs> first shift. We'll be in there after his first shift and watching him take the puck off Raymond Bork stick, the reigning yes. Norris champ, and then coming down on Pete Peters, the reigning Vezina trophy uh, winner coming down on him, beating him on his first shot and dancing around that living room around the TV. We're going to win the cup. And it only took eight short years longer to, <laughs> to, to get that cup or whatever it was seven years. Um, you know, I just wanted to see them win one. So maybe I'm the wrong person. Maybe I'm a little pie-eyed uh, optimistic. Five cups for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The team, if you extra if you kind of look at it over the last 30 years, they are the answer. And there's not really, it's not even debatable. Who is the best team of the last three, the last four decades? It's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, hands down. Not it's only wild. The, not only the five Stanley Cups, Dave, but for I, we'd say what out of the last 40 years we'd say 37 of them or so 30 36 of them have been spent 
with one of the two or three best players in the world right. on the roster every single year, Lemieux, Yager, Crosby, Malkin. If you're, if you are, you know, if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, here's another football reference, you know, comparison. I said about five, six years ago, can you imagine being a Packers fan? It's cool that you have these superstar guys you have never had in 30 years now. Um, if you're the pack, if you're a Packers fan, you've never had worse than the second best quarterback. I mean, the transition year, Rogers right. taking over for Favre, still put had a big statistical year. Never had worse than the second or third best quarterback in in the NFL. And yet, you only have the same number of Lombardis as Dilfer and Flacco brought to Charm oh. City. That's got to be a gut punch. We are not comparable to that as as the listen the Bruin series. Uh, the Halak series to the Habs, so on and so forth. There have been, you know, the Islanders two years ago when you knew if, if Jari would have played, you know, uh, replacement level, you know, middle of the pack kind of puck, they would have advanced. Right. And last year, you know, the the Louis Domingue trajectory, <laughs> that, I mean, that story, we've kind of, where would he, that's a fun thing to consider. If they survive that series with Louis Domingue, where is he now in the pantheon of, of, of black and gold legends for all of time? I think oh, he'll be, he'll right be up there with the moose, now. right up there with the moose Hedberg, right? You know, some goalie you never knew anything about. And then all of a sudden he comes in and shocks the world. Right. I, I would think he'd I, be up there in the, the moose trajectory. So to me, the, the, the long, uh, the very long answer to your fairly straightforward question is, listen, I, I, I really do take great pleasure in being a Penguins fan and that, you know, in the free agency era, as it, you know, the pervasive way of all major sports at this point, that, that we can say that we saw the greatest player of all time, 66 Lemieux, mm-hmm. wear only black and gold. That I mean that that was it. That that Roberto Clemente and Pop Stargell and Ben Roethlisberger and Terry Bradshaw and Mean Joe Green and Jack Lambert and let's hope 87, 71, and 58. That means something. And people can get sideways about it. That that's that's honoring the past. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. It's 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 a past that deserves to be honored. And if those guys never win another cup. That's fine. What I want to see them do, I know this is setting the bar low, and there are plenty of people in Pittsburgh sports media that would disagree with this. I want to see them win a series, and I, I know that sounds crazy. I want them to prove their relevance, especially now. If you really think about this, I sort of threw it out off the cuff the other day, but then I started thinking about it. Is the Wales Conference right now as constituted, the last three years, let's say, as rugged, a side of the bracket in any sport you can think of in our lifetime. You're a little younger than I am, Mac, but I would go, you know, 70s, 70s AFC when mm-hmm. you had the Raiders, Steelers, Dolphins, Oilers, uh, and so on. You had some legit teams there, like the the 80s um, uh, a- NFC, you might yeah. float out there when you had Montana's Niners and Giants, uh, Giants yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The, all, but I mean, this is an all-time group, so you're really setting yourself up, as are Rags fans, Lightning fans, Leafs fans, and so on. Like, only one team's coming out of this side, and it's going to be a brute getting through three rounds to do it. So, no, I, I, 
I'm not setting myself up for the disappointment that like, do the Pens need to run the table here to 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 earn those contracts? No, they've already earned them with uh, with us getting to see them hoist that thing three times over their heads. And 66 Lemieux always there in the background, the most significant individual to one franchise in the history of at least North American sports, if not in the history of people. You always bring me some perspective, Dave. I appreciate it because I sit here and I whine and I mean, mean, give me one more parade, please. I just want to stand on the boulevard of the Allies in mid-June. And I want that too! uh, But you bring perspective and I appreciate that. It's not the end-all be-all. Before That's I let also you... one more thing I want to say yeah, to you yeah. about, about era and what mm-hmm. we have with these guys. You know, much is made and has been made for many decades. And I like to make fun of the old yinzers. It's like, Dave, we need to get back to running the football and playing good D like they used to do back in the 70s. Never mind the the um, the game changing a little bit and all of that. But I get I get the spirit of what's going on here. It the the uh, the other side of that is always the idea that Pittsburghers like it's a blue collar town. They can appreciate great defense as though if you played great defense in Miami or LA, not the, 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 the citizenry yeah. couldn't appreciate like, what am I looking at? They're good to defense. We need splash and dash. I think it's ironic that the penguins in blue collar where they appreciate hard work and all of that, all the jive as though that's only true in Pittsburgh and not in the rest of society. Um, the counter to that is the Penguins haven't just won five cups. Consider how they've done it. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle there, there's the dead puck era. There's the Devils who almost ru- li- literally ended the NHL with their garbage, skill-free crap, uh, uh, clap and uh, trap stuff. That the Penguins have won it by high-flying, go you know, foot on the gas puck. Not known for great defensive teams enough to to survive that, but that they have their foot on the gas at all times is great for the sport, and it's been great for us as Penguins fans. Over, like I say, I mean, since I, I was there before '66 arrived, I was I was tuned in, and for the last 40 years, that this the collection of talent that we've gotten to watch, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to get me to bellyache about it. Do they? Do they? give me fits and keep me up at night oh, last sure. spring against the rags. And we, Oh, we should have won. And that if Deming handles that shot with a minute to go on Kreider that instead bounces over his head, we move on and who knows? Yes. I'll, I, I walk the floors endlessly with angst over that, but I'm just trying to see the forest for the tree. You're right. At least it's been beautiful hockey or most of the time it's been right. a, mildly attractive hockey. You're absolutely right. Dave Damashek. Uh, catch him uh, across the podcast landscape. Minus three extra points. Don't call it a comeback. He is uh, a Pittsburgher through and through who loves the Penguins just as much as the rest of us. And again, you always bring me the perspective I need, Dave. I appreciate your time today. Mac, I don't understand because I am by, you know, my my uh, natural setting is pessimist. But I, you know what? The Pittsburgh sports media has forced me into the uncomfortable spot <laughs> of somehow having to be the optimist or the or, or, or the uh, one with the sunny disposition. I guess I have to wear it. It's as good as we're going to do. But in fact, Pittsburgh sports media can't do better than Chris Mack. I appreciate the invitation, man. A huge fan, you know, uh, uh, um, been here, there, and everywhere over the, the last couple of decades. And uh, you rise to the top of, uh, of the best guys I've met along the way. So cheers uh, to you, man, on starting this much-needed podcast, Black and Gold Puck.
I, I appreciate it, man. And uh, as always, you wear the optim the sunny optimism well. It looks good on you, Dave. So thanks looks for better the time. better than my hair. Look at my, my hair's real. <laughs> no, see, that's the Hollywood look. It looks good on you. It looks good on you. It's like Johnny Depp. Like, that's what, yeah, it's like Johnny Depp. It's like, I'm going to make myself as unattractive as I can, <laughs> and I can still outlady you. You know, exactly. The ladies will still like me better than you. That's what he does. He, that's what he's doing. He's giving the rest of us the middle finger, Johnny Depp. When yeah. he, does, he dresses like a clown with all the bobbles, he's like, I can still get more women than you. That's what, that's what I'm doing to you right now, Mac. That's exactly what it is. And that's okay. I, I recognize game, recognize game, as they say, Dave, mm -hmm. or something Amen. like that. Amen. I don't know. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. The great Dave, Dave Damashek again. Uh, he's got, podcast galore mr multimedia we appreciate him taking the time to join us here on fifth avenue face off sheng peng before him with some really good info on the sharks trade market how the penguins may get involved in that in case you missed it rewind go back you skipped over it just to get to dave i understand dave's wonderful go back to sheng listen to what he had to say and always good to catch up with eric tangrady as well we'll talk to him again on wednesday uh also on wednesday we will take a little bit more of a dive into the trade market. We will have the Sharks game to talk about as well. And later in the week, we start to look towards a big wraparound weekend of Metro Division action as well. As always, here on Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, it is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Download, subscribe, rate, review, all those wonderful things we ask you to do. Let your friends know as well, whether it's through Odyssey, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, however you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, download, listen, and of course, like I said, five-star ratings. I love them. Reviews, we love them. So keep them coming and get ready for the next episode of Fifth Avenue Face Off. <laughs>